Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view, the people who work in the prison system would have another, and I think it's up to people to decide uh, you know, where, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Do and Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. And this is um, actually going to be a very, very important show and it's in regards to a shining tribute to our very much loved and honourable Uncle Ray Jackson. And he died on the 23rd of April 2015. He's an Aboriginal warrior who dedicated his life to fighting against the deaths of his people in Australian police and prison cell and succumbed quietly to his own death in his small flat in Waterloo. Jackson, the president of the Indigenous Social Justice Association, who has tirelessly accumulated thousands of pages of testimony relating to the violence perpetuated by the criminal justice system against Aboriginals and others in Australia. Ray Jackson is a Wiradjuri warrior for human rights and was one of Australia's most vocal and knowledgeable deaths in custody campaigners, a fighter for justice or FKJ, as he always signed his weekly emails, Jackson spent nearly 30 years holding our police, prison and court systems to account every time a black fella died in custody. Ray Jackson also um, did a lot of work for um, refugees and asylum seekers. And just before I introduce our guest, I wanted to also say that when funding for the Aboriginal Deaths in Custody Watch Committee, for whom Jackson had worked since 1987, that funding was cut in 1997, which was the worst year on record for deaths in prison custody. Jackson moved the entire operation into his one-bedroom flat and founded the Indigenous Social Justice Association to continue its work. And Uncle also received a French um, government award, and, uh, and that, certainly in Australia, which has a, lot of, a long history of atrocities, never um, actually allocated an award to him. Now, I just wanted to put listeners in context of what has happened because this year, I think, is a little bit different to other past memorial shows. The Do and Time show has played an integral part in honouring uh, warriors, Aboriginal warriors that have died and also looking at Aboriginal deaths in custody. This year, we, are, we have one guest on our show and that's going to be Joseph Bouliese, who has been... A, a friend of Ray Jackson and has assisted him with doing a lot of work in regards to deaths in custody and has written several books. Listeners may recall that we actually did some work uh, last week in regards to uh, a book launch that's coming up, Mapping Deathscapes, Digital Geographies of Racial and Border Violence. Now, Joseph will be with us today, and we were meant to be interviewing also Carolyn Jackson, who is the daughter of Ray. Carolyn actually had to cancel at the last minute because of ill health. There is a lot going on in her life, and she has asked me to say this on air. She has asked me to tell listeners that she will be available to speak to us in two weeks. So this broadcast is actually going to be a two-part series to honour Ray, and Joseph and I have discussed this, and Carol and I have also discussed it as well. And so today we will be speaking with Joseph in regards to Ray's life's work, and we will celebrate his life with Joseph talking about death, the Deathgates Project and how 
that was actually, in a way, um, Ray was a really big part of it. Well, not in a way, he, he was. He was a big part of it in, in regards to countless other Indigenous contributors. And then in two weeks, so this Monday the, uh, on Anzac Day, which is fitting because Ray did a lot of um, work on the Frontier Wars as well, um, the show is airing from four to five. And then the Monday after that, I will be interviewing Carolyn as a second part of the series and also Bronwyn, Auntie Bronwyn as well, Bronwyn, Professor Bronwyn Carlson, who is a contributor of Mapping Deathscapes. So I will be interviewing two very strong and powerful Indigenous women um, about Uncle Ray, namely his daughter Carolyn and also Professor Bronwyn Carlson. But I'm, I'm wanting, I think that Joseph very soon will be giving a very fitting introduction and celebration of his work. Welcome, Joseph. Uh, welcome, Marissa, and thanks for your warm introduction. Uh, and before I go any further, I'd, I'd like to acknowledge um, that I'm, I'm speaking from Gadigal lands here, unceded sovereignty of Gadigal lands, and uh, that as a settler diasporic subject, I'm fully aware of what that means. And I, I don't say this in a rhetorical manner precisely because it will tie into the issuing of Aboriginal passport ceremonies that Uncle Ray uh, initiated um, some years ago. I, I'd also like to give my best wishes to Carolyn Jackson, Uncle Ray's daughter, who I, of course, have known over a number of years, and I'm concerned to hear that she's not in a particularly good place at the moment. So all my love and, and good wishes to Carolyn and also to the brilliant Bronwyn Carlson, the colleague at Macquarie University, who will be speaking with you in a couple of weeks' time. Thanks, Marissa. Thank you, um, Joseph. And, and, and you know, this, this is no secret. It's, it's good to, to speak on air about these things because we're not always in a good place. Yes. And, you know, Carolyn and I were, were discussing whether or not we should actually let the show go ahead this year. Um, and I said to Carolyn, well, should we cancel it? And she said, absolutely not. She said, I, I want to honour my father. So here we are. Yes. And it's always an honour to speak about Uncle Ray Jackson at any time. OK, so, so let's talk about... Let's talk about Ray. And um, when, when was he born? I don't quite know when Uncle Ray was born, but um, I, I can tell you about the, particular visit, the particulars of his life. Um, yes. if, if, you know, that I got to know in terms of the work that we did collaboratively. Here we are, the 27th of March, 1951. 1941, sorry. The 27th of March, 1941. Right. So let's talk about his life. I mean, what, what do you think are the most important aspects? Look, I, I, I mean, there I think are many. That, yeah, the, the, we, we can work through them, but I guess now that you've brought up his birth date, we, we need to mark... What a harrowing uh, early years Uncle Ray had, and I know Carolyn Jackson will talk to this in more detail when you speak to her. Yes. But one of the facts we can't um, but name is that he was um, a child of the Stolen Generations, and um, that as a, a tender toddler, he was removed from his Indigenous mother, his Wiradjuri mother, and that that left a profound trauma on Uncle Ray, and it shaped, really, his burning desire to achieve social justice uh, for Indigenous people, but for all other people who are victims of state violence. Absolutely. And, and Carolyn usually talks about that, so I'm glad that we're able to talk about that. He, I mean, he didn't even know his own name. He, did, he didn't know his birth family. That's, that's exactly right. And I know Carolyn is shared this information before and no doubt she'll do it again because it's important information. Uncle Ray Jackson was really the strongest person I've, and the bravest person I've, I've ever known. Uh, and I say that absolutely sincerely. Um, if, if you, there is so much to cover in terms of what he did, but you know, to give you an example of his fearlessness, one of the revolutionary things, and we're not going to work through his life chronologically, we'll be jumping no, of here course and there, no, no, no. all interconnected. But one of the yes. revolutionary things he did, one of the most important interventions he made was when, with the forensic pathologist Carl Hughes, he actually argued that all autopsies 
of Indigenous deaths in custody should be attended either by a member of the family or a representative of the family so as to ensure that the autopsy was uh, conducted with ceremony and respect in terms of um, the, the, the dead loved one of the Indigenous family. And when he first put that proposal forward um, to, to, to um, you know, the, the, the coroner and to the police, they actually laughed at him and said, it's not oh, going right. to happen. And as you know, it did happen. And he turned that into legislation. And he, with Carl Hughes, would often attend, uh, at the request of the family, uh, the autopsies of uh, in Indigenous deaths in custody. And uh, Carl said, I mean, you know, Carl was a seasoned forensic pathologist and he, you know, he, he trained in, in, in those sorts of procedures. And he said he couldn't quite believe the strength of Uncle Ray that he would front to those really confronting uh, situations where he'd have to witness, um, you know, the dissection of a loved one's body. But he did that out of love and respect for the family and out of, uh, you know, a sense of honour for the, the, the death in custody. Uh, and so I marked that. He, he was an incredibly brave and fearless man in that way. But Carolyn has mentioned to me on a number of occasions that the time that Uncle Ray would fall over, he would get emotional, quietly but profoundly emotional, was when he would talk about being a member of the Stolen Generation and the fact that he never got to see his mother. Absolutely. And and that's been written about quite a lot. He's been very open about that, Joseph. He has. He would talk about that. And I think putting it in the public domain was important for a lot of reasons, but uh, most obviously because you know, clearly there isn't an Indigenous family in this uh, settler country who's not been touched by the stolen generations. And Indigenous families who had lost their loved ones through the violence of the um, state carceral system, the prison system, the so-called criminal justice system, knew that he wasn't someone who was standing on the outside of their trauma. He had personally experienced his own profound trauma and thus they could immediately sense the profound empathy that he had for their situation, for their loss, for their grieving and their burning desire to achieve justice. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, we, we've often worked alongside Ray and he had his beloved Istja and his beloved Redfern as well. Yes. Well, Istja was really one of the most important social justice organisations this country has seen. And, of course, as you mentioned in, in your introduction, uh, Uncle Ray was foundational in founding it with, let me add, um, the, the wonderful Don Clark, who uh, actually w went to the um, Elysee Palace in, 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 in Paris, France, when Uncle Ray was awarded and Isja were awarded uh, the French Human Rights Medal, which, as you know, is an incredibly prestigious human rights award, um, and recipients have included people like um, Nelson Mandela, um, so they worked hand-in-hand, hand, Don Clark and uh, Uncle Ray, in founding ISJA and in keeping it running in their pursuit for, for, for social justice. And, of course, all of that was carried out, as you said, from a, a one-bedroom flat in Waterloo Towers, uh, public housing uh, in Waterloo Towers, but also in the terrain of Redfern, which was really uh, has always been like one of the epicentres of Aboriginal activism, as you know, going back to the late 60s and early 70s, a uh, foundational place for uh, Indigenous activism that saw uh, the establishment of uh, uh, the uh, Aboriginal legal service, uh, Aboriginal medical service, etc. So uh, Uncle Ray was fully at home and supportive of the community there. And as you know, I mean, you, you mentioned how he died quietly, and, you know, we can say that he died after doing the rounds of Redfern and going to express his solidarity and support uh, with um, uh, the, the, the tent embassy there, because uh, at the time they were fighting the uh, overtake of, of, of Red, Redfern Indigenous lands for you know uh, a whole new uh, building development, which was effectively going to erase the block. 
And he did those rounds and then went back uh, and, you know, literally died quietly in his bed. So Redfern was really in his blood. Absolutely. And I, I feel that today is really important to really recount some of that historical context because often yeah. what tends to happen when, when someone passes away, whether that be a campaigner, whether that be a loved one, they look at the current things, but the history is never looked at. And I think with Ray, it's really important to look at what the history of some, some of what he's done, especially Absolutely. in regards to the history of black deaths in custody. Yeah. And look, I mean, what we can say now, if, if we're unfolding this history, is that um, Uncle Ray didn't come to social justice suddenly and abruptly. Ever since he began to sort of work in any sort of sphere, he was driven by social justice by the desire to achieve social justice outcomes. And I, I can give you an update on, on a part of the history that I wasn't particularly familiar with um, and which sort of came to me uh, just recently because I was contacted by one of his old trade union activists, Sergio Zarino. They worked at the Clyde Oil Refinery here in Sydney. And uh, the important thing that uh, Sergio Zarino is doing, he's writing a biographical uh, account of uh, Uncle Ray's life uh, across the arc of his whole career and uh, it's going to be for a book on Indigenous trade union activists and what uh, Sergio Zarino um, told me was that in effect when Uncle Ray was working at the Clyde Oil Refinery he was at the forefront of the trade union movement to get better rights, better conditions for all workers and uh, basically, he learned his skills in terms of being a tactician, in terms of uh, developing uh, new policies and agendas to improve worker conditions and rights uh, in, in a really tough environment, as you can imagine, where he was fighting the big bosses, the big capitalist bosses. And uh, often, he would be the representative that the trade union um, movement would send to, uh, say, arbitration, and he would argue his case and win better conditions. Uh, often, you know, to the surprise of his fellow workers, he said, oh, you won't, you, know, you won't be able to win this, mate, but he did. And that was really a sign of his acute intelligence, but it also his extraordinary legal and, um, you know, persuasive skills to get his case across. So you can see that he's really, he really cut his teeth, as uh, Sergio mentioned to me, in a really tough environment um, on, on, on the Sydney waterfront, if you like, at the Clyde Oil Refinery. So right from his roots, there's always been a social justice activist uh, for all. And, and that's important because we all know, of course, Uncle Ray for his extraordinary uh, work in the domain of Indigenous deaths in custody, a harrowing wound in this country that's not being resolved, that continues to escalate. He was there fighting for a halt not only for justice, but a halt to Indigenous deaths in custody, which is why, you know, he was there as the founding secretary of the Custody Watch Committee in 1987, as you mentioned. And then when he was unhappy with the work that that was doing, because it really wasn't fulfilling the objectives that he saw as crucial, he did found with Don Clark, the Indigenous Social Justice um, Association. But you can see how, right from the start, Uncle Ray had a broader vision of social justice, of course, his primary aim, and rightly so, was to achieve justice for his people, for Indigenous people in this country, whose uh, sovereignty has been violated, their lands have been violated by the settler colonial state. But he also had a large internationalist socialist vision of justice, which was really encompassing all people who were uh, uh, if you like, at risk because of the violence of the state. Uh, and yeah. I'm not sure if you'd like me to talk more about that because I certainly could. Absolutely. I mean, that, it's important. You know, it's interesting because Carolyn and I were just having a chat off air. Uh, um, we're going to be hoping to, to invite Sergio onto the, the show in a couple of weeks. She was talking about him um, about half an hour ago to me. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Because so yeah, when, when really Sergio contacted up. me, I said, you really need to contact Carolyn. We spoke with Carolyn. And so, you know, yeah. this is getting bigger than, than Ben-Hur, which is good to hear. Yeah, <laughs> no, have, and it's really know, fantastic. Perspectives on Uncle Ray's life. 
Yeah, because I was going to ask you about that. So, yeah, I mean, if there, are there any other comments that you'd like to add to that? Well, um, I, I think that that work with his fellow socialists at the Clyde Oil Refinery gave him uh, a unique perspective on the fact that you need to work with uh, and, and create alliances um, with all other people who are at the receiving end of, of state violence. And I think the unique feature of Uncle Ray was that he was an internationalist. He was an Indigenous activist who, if you like, followed in, in a long tradition where they could see that the process of decolonisation was a transnational movement and um, Uncle Ray was passionately engaged with um, uh, other Indigenous communities uh, overseas. He, he always was following what was happening in North America, in Canada, in other settler states like Canada, um, the US, but also in places like colonised Palestine. He was a passionate advocate of justice for the Palestinians precisely because their lands have been occupied and usurped by the Israeli settler colonial state. And um, he was absolutely uh, fearless in, in, in speaking about that. And, and I want to broach and, and pause a moment and invoke some of Uncle Ray's words because I'm not sure if our listeners have been following, but there's been pretty shocking escalation of violence in the last few weeks in Palestine, in occupied East Jerusalem, uh, dozens of Palestinian activists killed. And Uncle Ray followed that because he could see that their situation mirrored the situation of the settler colonial state in Australia. And um, I've got this powerful quote that he uh, sent out in one of his newsletters in 2014, just after the Israeli state launched Operation Protective Edge, which saw thousands of Palestinian civilians killed and really, in Gaza, the destruction of civil infrastructure like schools, hospitals, ambulances, um, mosques, places of worship, etc. And um, he basically sent out a missive saying, and I'm going to quote Uncle Ray's words, he says, it is far too long that the genocidal attacks against the civilian population of Gaza must stop and stop immediately. It now appears that the Netanyahu government is in an all-out war of extermination of the Palestinian people. Israel must stop this overkill. That is just a fact that must be done. What must be possible? No, certain, is that the ethnocide of the Palestinians in Gaza must cease once and for all. End of quote. That's Uncle Ray's words from his wow. issue newsletter on the 31st of July 2014. And that internationalist vision he had and the passion that he had for all other people who are the victims of settler state violence, you can see that it was transnational in its reach. And when he conducted his uh, really landmark, all-important Aboriginal passport ceremonies, which we can talk about more in detail now, he yes. actually sent, as, um, through an emissary, through a representative, Aboriginal passports to... Uh, Palestinians in the refugee camps in Lebanon and in occupied Palestine as a sign of Indigenous solidarity with their situation. Absolutely. And indeed, I believe that Robbie Thorpe helped, helped to arrange the, the passports. I'm not sure if it was Robbie Thorpe. It was a, a, a young Palestinian woman whose um, name I can't remember but she acted in concert with... Um, oh, Uncle I see Ray. the passport you're talking about. Thank yeah, you, Joseph, yeah, yeah. for clarifying I, that. I, 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 I think, was talking uh, about the Robbie Aboriginal Thorpe ones. Was, yeah, yeah he, okay. he, he was working with another uh, event. Yeah. And okay. um, on, on the day of the first uh, Aboriginal passport ceremony in, yeah. um, in, 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 at the settlement in Redson, he uh, handed over the passports to a, a Palestinian um, uh, activist representative who took them yeah who took them over to uh, occupied palestine and the refugee palestinian refugee yeah. camps in lebanon so you're talking more about the internationalist work which is which, which is very important and it's very pertinent isn't it to his to all his work it is it, it's, it was very and if you like it, um he, he could yeah. see the connections that have now been solidified say between the black lives matters movement in the US, which has now also become a transnational movement, and Indigenous deaths in custody 
And, for example, when the young Dungati warrior uh, died in custody in Long, Bay, in Long Bay Jail, David Dungay, and I know we've talked about this previously on your program, yeah. and representatives of his family have, talk, have, talked, have talked about his um, appalling death in custody, uh, the horrific yeah. video which we can still see because his family wanted it released to show the graphic violence of how um, yes. this young Indigenous man was killed. Um, when we were at the opening of the coronial inquest um, in, in Sydney at the law courts uh, there in Elizabeth Street, um, Hawk Newsom, who's one of the uh, leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement, stood up front and expressed solidarity with the family and with Indigenous deaths in custody. And you can see then how Uncle Ray was the sort of person who, if he had been alive then, he would have seized the moment and you know, really worked those sorts of transnational solidarities because you could see that we needed to connect the dots, the transnational dots, by which the settler state reproduces itself in various locations in the killing of people of colour, black people and Indigenous people. Indeed, and uh, look, my contact with, with Uncle Ray Jackson is obviously only a very small part of, uh, you know, of, of his work, and it's all interconnected. I mean, Joseph, you've actually made some really important points there in regards to the history, in regards to the foundational work that he did when he was on the wharves and, you know, at Port Phillip. And, you know, having solidarity with the workers, isn't it? Um, Uncle Ray was, was actually a very, a very important part of the Doing Time show. And even before me, I mean, Charit of Singh used to be a part of the show before. He was a former presenter. And I used to hear these really long interviews with, with Uncle. And then later, he I, I met him at the People's Hearing. And he was coming in by phone once a week to talk about all the very topics that, you, that you've been um, discussing here on the show, Joseph. Yeah. Look, he had an extraordinary grasp of both the complex legal cases but also the human dimension. And so, for example, if you went to his you know, small one-bedroom unit, really that was his office, his study and his archive. Oh. Yeah. And... You couldn't move in there precisely because of all the files that he kept on all the Indigenous deaths in custody cases. And the extraordinary thing is, yes, they were there in paper form and some material was on the computer, but he actually held everything in his head and he knew every single case in all of its details. So he had an extraordinary forensic grasp, but he also had a profoundly human understanding of... The traumatic work he was dealing with. So, you know, one of the most memorable things for me um, about Uncle Ray is when he held the rallies to offer support to uh, Indigenous families who had lost their loved ones in the violence of a death in custody, he would always make the space for members of the family to take the floor and to speak to their loss. And often, you know... They were reluctant to, to speak because they were so traumatised about the loss. But what yes. Uncle Ray would do, he, was, he would allow them the moment to be on stage and just to grieve in silence as a collective, or yes. alternatively, for them to shout their rage and anger over the injustice that they had experienced over the loss of their loved one. So you can see that there was a profound understanding of exactly what was at stake. Not only the legal forensic understanding that he took to those courts, that he took to the coronial inquest, that he took to the police, etc., to pursue justice, but also to try and establish spaces so that people who would normally not be heard, because they are not given media platforms in this country largely, uh, the, 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 the families of people who have lost loved ones in custody, he would give them public platforms to be there and to speak to their loss. It's interesting you should say that because, you know, one of the things that Uncle Ray really talked about quite a lot and, and was quite outraged was about TJ Hickey. Yeah. And I do a show about TJ every 
every year on the 14th of February, and as you know, there's a march there about him. Yeah. And TJ Hickey's mother, Gail, really trusted Uncle. The families trusted him. They trusted him with all their files, didn't they? And, they did. you know, he, he, attended, he would attend every inquest and even death scene sometimes. Absolutely. And the TJ Hickey case was particularly fraught and explosive, as you know, because we know that police killed him. And so the police were really always trying to use intimidatory tactics against Uncle Ray and Isja and the Hickey family to try and stop them from staging those shaming public rallies. So I call them shaming rallies precisely yeah. because... They were never silent about who the perpetrators of that killing were, the police. Um, Absolutely. But again, Uncle Ray would lead these rallies, rallies fearlessly, even as he often faced really quite gross tactics of intimidation from the police. And as you say, Gail Hickey absolutely entrusted him um, with uh, trying to achieve justice for TJ because she, she knew that if anyone could deliver, it was um, Uncle Ray. Absolutely, and 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 he he actually quoted here um, in an article that I wrote quite some years ago now. I, I, I think it was around about two thousand and two thousand and seven in regards to T.J. Hickey's death. And his his quote was, "The family and I do not see T.J.'s death as an accident. It will never happen." Yeah. And that's where he was completely uncompromising. And look, you know, here are the things that we can connect. That uncompromising pursuit for justice, but also his expansive vision of people who had been victims of um, state violence. And, uh, you know, let's talk about the Veronica Baxter case, for example. You know, the, the young Indigenous transgender woman who basically was thrown in a jail and uh, identified as, as a woman, uh, was in the process of transitioning. She was on hormone treatment. And, and as you know, she, as a woman, as an Indigenous woman, she was thrown into an all-men's jail. She was denied the hormone treatment to the outrage of Uncle Ray and her family. And he was absolutely, again, fearless in pursuing this. And when the... Um, coronial inquiry handed down its uh, findings. Of course, like every single coronial inquiry into Indigenous deaths in custody, no one was referred for prosecution. Yeah, and again, I want to quote Uncle Ray because I've got a powerful uh, quote. Mm -hmm. So basically, um, the police, the prison guards, everyone else who had been complicit in the killing, really, of um, Veronica Baxter was uh, let off scot-free. And this is what Uncle Ray said in his characteristically uncompromising way. And I quote, this is Uncle Ray, this inquiry was a sham. It did not resolve how she died. We saw a whitewash on the 20th anniversary of the Royal Commission into Black Deaths in Custody. After the farce of this inquiry, we then saw censorship of the like I've never seen before in my 20 years of Black Deaths in Custody campaigning. Precisely because... Uh, a, uh, a gag motion was issued to suppress any information that could be made public about the inquiry, end of quote. So you can see how he'd taken up that cause but also exposed the absolute farce of these coronial inquiries where basically it looks as though justice is going to be done, it looks as though justice is going to be delivered for the families, but in fact it never is. It's just really, as he says, a sham whereby procedural law is unfolded without any justice outcome because in all of the coronial in inquiries that have been held into Indigenous deaths in custody, and we can't repeat this enough, sure. no one has ever been referred for prosecution, charged, let alone convicted of the murder of Indigenous people in custody. Absolutely. And Joseph, I want to thank you so much for, for talking about Uncle and, and talking about also the historical context. Um, are there any final comments that you wanted to make about, about Uncle? Look, there's just such a sense of loss at not having him, as you can imagine. And I know we all get a bit emotional when we name yes. that, but it has to be named. 
And um, just the other day, I was speaking to um, Carl Hughes, the forensic pathologist that worked with um, Uncle Ray, and he said that he's still grieving seven years down the track. And, um, you know, I, I understand that, and I can only imagine what Carolyn and the larger family feel at that oh. loss. But the, the other thing is I want to thank you for continuing to honour his memory uh, at every anniversary. And really, um, I know that Uncle Ray would sort of, uh, in his really dry, humorous way, say, well, I'm not inter interested in the honouring. I want you to get on and do the work. <laughs> That's exactly right. But this is part of the work, isn't it? And, and it look, is I'll be honest with you, Joseph. Uh, I'll be honest with you. We, it, this show nearly didn't go ahead today. It's, you know, we've, we've had a, a tough couple of years. You know, there's a pandemic in progress. There's a lot going on. And, uh, you know, I'm only guided by Carolyn. And, and she said, no, 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 no. Let it go ahead. And we'll just, we'll, and we, we both came to the conclusion we'll do a two-part series. We'll have Joseph be the guest today. And that will be, you know, the springboard, the, 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 the continuing the work and introducing today isn't it yeah it is and and then carolyn and bronwyn can really take up the cudgels and and, and, and surge and, as well yeah. i'm hoping yeah, yeah. and surge okay. yeah exactly Sergio. Yeah. look um just one last thing that that i wanted to mention on a personal level about about uncle ray and that is i i actually sometimes i will pick up the phone to call him I've still got all his old emails and like last month I was actually looking through some of his emails and his phone number at the bottom and I actually picked up the phone to dial the number. I can understand that. And then I thought, hang on a minute, Marissa, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you yeah. doing? Isn't that a but, tribute to how connected he was to the people he befriended and worked with that we oh. still can do that? Uh, and we sense that sense of connectedness even after years of, of his passing. Absolutely. I mean, I, I even he he was the he was part of the collective. He was part of the collective that doing time show. Like there were times when I was having a look at my diary, you know, prior because I still keep all my old diaries, and he was there once a week at one stage for yeah. about six months. He'd be on the show. It was like he was yeah. part of us. Oh, he was. He's part of our life's fabric, effectively. All of us, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But look, in, in terms of d doing the work and, and the question, you know, the issue of honour, I do want to leave you with this, because it's, it's, yeah. it's a wonderful line that I've never forgotten. Um, as you know, um, <laughs> he had a great sense yeah. of humour. When I, when I first nominated him for the French Human Rights um, Award, um, he, he was contacted by the, um, the French consul here, uh, because I started the process, and he rang me up and he said, "Is this a joke?" Because <laughs> <laughs> really? he couldn't quite believe that a government body was finally going to acknowledge his extraordinary social justice achievements. See, that's but then, that's really yeah, because yeah. you know he, it's, he knew it's sad that all in a way, he got was, you know, a kick in the teeth from state, federal, local governments here. They never acknowledged, let alone rewarded, his extraordinary work. But when he was awarded it. This is a wonderful line that um, he, he spoke to me. Um, you know, he was, he was incredibly moved uh, because it meant so much to him because they got about 30,000 Euro, euros for uh, ISJA to continue wow. their uh, Indigenous Deaths in Custody work. Uh, but he said to me, you know what this award means to me? It means I've got one more hammer to smash down the doors. Isn't that a wonderful okay. quote? One more hammer yeah. to smash down the, jaw, the doors in order to get through towards social justice. Absolutely. So that's, that's, what Uncle Ray, that's the legacy that Uncle Ray has left us. It is a, a very important legacy. And, and I, I, do, I think I do need to mention as well, just so that for the purposes of, of uh, listeners as well, that he, Uncle Ray was able to really talk about the autopsies in detail. Sometimes we have very harrowing information on this show. I, I don't, you know, people don't realise, I think, sometimes, and, until they listen, what this show is about. That it's, it's about not just looking at um, deaths in custody, but looking at the, 
colonisation and what happens in the police cells, what happens in detention centres. I mean, for example, you know, Ray would talk about Mr Briscoe, he'd talk about Eddie Murray, he would talk about Ms Dew. And, but all of those things weren't just talked about in terms of what the media was saying, but he would go a step further and dissect those autopsies with the skill of a medical examiner. Yeah. And that's a really important thing to understand, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, and that was, again, his fearlessness in actually fighting to achieve that change in the legislation that enabled um, rep Indigenous representatives of deaths in custody families to be there. And often they would um, uh, entrust that responsibility to him because they knew they could trust him and he would make sure that the body of the loved one was treated with the utmost respect. Even as I said, it would have been a really harrowing process to watch because he wasn't a trained forensic pathologist, but he endured no. that for the sake of uh, doing the right thing for the family and the person who had passed. Absolutely. And this is 3CR Community Radio, and I am speaking on the unceded lands of the Kulin Nation, and that's where this interview was conducted, and indeed this episode is being conducted right now. Although the show will not be, hasn't been aired on the 23rd of April, right on the anniversary. We've had a couple of public holidays, but we've done our best, and we will be airing it on this Monday. Joe, thank you very much, Joseph. You're welcome, Marissa, and um, really happy to see that you continue this wonderful tradition of honouring uh, Uncle Ray, his life work and his ongoing legacy. Thank you. Thank you very much, and you take care of yourself, Joseph. Yep, you too. All the best. Bye-bye. All the best. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. And you're back with the Doing Time show. And this is 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. And this is a special broadcast, in case listeners have just tuned in, and it's a tribute to Uncle Ray Jackson, who died on the 23rd of April, 2015. And we just heard from Joseph Bugliese, who was a, a, is a friend of Ray Jackson, and indeed has, has written several books about state violence. And there is a book launch um, that he's actually has on Thursday night at 8 o'clock um, about his book, Mapping Deathscapes. So, keep, so please Google that and see if you can attend that. That's 8 o'clock um, Melbourne and Sydney time. Now, I just wanted to spend just a little bit of time, we've only got about five minutes left, um, in regards to just talking a little bit more about about Uncle Ray, and I might just read out just a little bit of a, an article that it was a, it's a very powerful piece actually. It's called Talk Strong, and sorry, um, Talk Loud, talk, talk Strong, and it's from Borderlands, and it's a tribute to Aboriginal leader Uncle Ray Jackson, 1941 to 2015. And it says that it is fitting that this Borderlands special issue dedicated to the politics of human suffering include a tribute to the Wiradjuri leader, Uncle Ray Jackson. By the end of his life, Uncle Ray Jackson remained a tireless fighter for Australian and other First Nations peoples and an uncompromising internationalist and socialist, holding up a mirror to settler-colonialist violence in all its national and global ramifications. And so, just going on with that, his Indigenous Social Justice Association, ISJA, led many courageous campaigns against Aboriginal and other racialised deaths in custody, holding state institutions to account and supporting the families of the bereaved. Over four decades, through both his activism and his writing, Uncle Ray Jackson insisted on and developed the linkages between justice for Aboriginal peoples and a range of other social movements such as Black Power and anti-apartheid, prison abolition, trade unionism and socialism. The tributes paid to him by figures such as Angela Davis and John Pilcher testify to this indispensable globalist dimension that framed his life and work. 
Grounded in the assertion of Aboriginal sovereignty, Uncle Ray Jackson produced a series of astute and uncompromising analyses of the instances of colonial and state violence detailed throughout this special issue, the invasion of Gaza and the ongoing dispossession and occupation of Palestinian lands, the war in Sri Lanka and the continuing stream of refugees it produced, the relentless toll of the war on terror and unfolded the geopolitical and economic order that underpins them. His analyses were accompanied by an unswerving commitment to and solidarity with those who bore the worst effects of this violence, racialised racialized peoples incarcerated in prisons and onshore and offshore immigration detentions, the families of those killed in sites of official state custody and its hidden shadows and cracks, those dispossessed and disenfranchised by the forms geopolitical and and neoliberal violence he documented in meticulous detail an open letter to them the prime minister kevin rudd written in 2013 tracks the logic by which the occupation of aboriginal land led to the xenophobic policies and practices directed towards present-day refugees and asylum seekers the invasion of the Aboriginal nations that began in January 1788 continues to this day, but after time, it also allowed, under statute, a xenophobic and racist law that was used against my peoples and immigrants, refugees, especially if they were not white, in a social understanding. And that was a quote, actually. Ray Jackson, open letter to Kevin Rudd, MP, August 5th, 2013. So we've only got a couple of minutes left off the show, but I, I thought I'd actually read that small, very small piece of the article. Do Google it. It's from Borderlands, and it's actually really um, good reading. But I didn't just read it for the sake of reading. I actually read that because I believe that that's quite a, a pertinent summary of what we talked about on the show today. So this show was very different to other shows that I have broadcasted over the many years since Ray Jackson passed away. This show really looked at the historical context of Uncle Ray's work, and Joseph was the only guest. But I want to make it clear to listeners that although he was the only guest, we will be having Indigenous interviewees um, in two weeks, and that this is actually a two-part series of the... The first one of, of, of has been aired already. It's a two-part series... Um, of the the passing of Ray Jackson and a tribute to the passing of Ray Jackson and looking at his life's work and it's basically a celebration to honour his work. So it's goodbye from Marissa. It really has been an extremely uh, emotional time for me today and, you know, it was really difficult to witness uh, Caroline Jackson's poor health and I'm hoping that she's in a better place. I wanted to send out a cheerio to both Carolyn and Joseph and also to Bronwyn as well, Professor Bronwyn Carlson as well. And we'll see if we can invite her onto the show in two weeks' time. And, you know, we're all going through a very difficult time at the moment. And thank you so much to everybody who is going to be has contributed and will be contributing to the two-part series of Uncle Ray Jackson. And I can only be guided by others. That's what this show is about. It's all about, you know, providing a safe environment um, for not just First Nations people, but people from marginalised communities and the most vulnerable. And I'll leave you with that thought. Stay strong and take care of each other. And we'll be going out now with our theme song, Blackfella, Whitefella by the Warumpi Band. Stay tuned every Monday from 4 to 5 for the Doin' Time show. Bye. Different lies in
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.